Shalom and Shavuot from Israel. Welcome to this, the fourth Israel News podcast for the week, beginning December 27th. Brought to you by IsraTransfer.com, Israel's most trusted money exchange expert. My name is Adam Malaman and I'm your host for this weekly podcast which summarizes the news stories likely to be driving the news cycle in Israel this week. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, CastBox and all the other places where podcasts can be heard. Thank you so much for the amazing response we've had for this first month of the show and it's really it genuinely far outstripped our expectations and if you've enjoyed the podcast please 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 spread the word in all the usual social media ways my guest uh, later in the program will be uh, pollster and political commentator Mitchell Barak and he'll be discussing Israel's ongoing failure to pass a budget and the upcoming del- elections that will be after the news summary and he is always thought-provoking well worth a listen Again, a reminder that if you're doing business with Israel, if you're buying property, if you're making Aliyah, then make sure you catch the daily shekel rates and analysis videos, uh, which Daniel and myself record every day and place on the Israel Transfer Facebook and LinkedIn pages Monday through Thursday. Daniel, uh, in fact, will be joining us as he does at the end of this podcast for his weekly overview of where the shekel's holding and a forecast. So on with the key stories driving the news in Israel as we go into this week of 2020. So it wouldn't be 2020 if the news was not dominated, as always, by COVID-19. What else was I going to say? Israel is entering its third lockdown at 5pm Sunday, that's today. Unlike the previous two lockdowns, schools will remain at least partially open and businesses that don't receive the public, in other words, you know, shops, can operate at 50% staff capacity. People will be restricted in movements of more than a thousand meters from their homes, which is how it was in the second lockdown, uh, except for essential shopping and individual sports activities. Um, you, we can't visit other people's homes and no more than 10 people can gather in an indoor space or 20 in an outdoor area. Restaurants and cafes will only be allowed um, delivery services. Health Ministry data released this morning showed there were 2,630 positive cases of coronavirus diagnosed over Shabbat when cases tend to be far lower than weekdays. Before the weekend, we were seeing a rising R rate as we have been for weeks and cases reaching, I believe, 3,994 virus positive cases on Friday. Here in the capital, Jerusalem, we're reporting that hospitals are close to capacity. New COVID cases are going to be sent to hospitals in other cities. On the positive side, and this is very positive, Israel is leading the world in rolling out the vaccine to the population. In the first few days uh, that we've had this program, over 250,000 Israelis have already received the first of their two shots with the aim uh, to bring that number to 150,000 vaccinations administered a day. Prime Minister Netanyahu said that would mean that within a month, 2.25 million Israelis would receive both doses of the vaccine. That would be over a quarter of Israel's 9.25 million population. 
Okay, you might expect that the Israeli elections would dominate the news cycle. We're heading into fourth elections, as you know. But in fact, there hasn't been a great deal of noise yet about these elections scheduled for March the 23rd. Uh, On Friday, former Defence Minister and leader of the Amina Party, Naftali Bennett, said that a couple of weeks ago, Netanyahu had offered him his old job of Defence Minister, which he was actually uh, got a good approval rating for, if he would bring his party into the government to prop it up, uh, but that he'd refused. Uh, Netanyahu took the job away from uh, Bennett in order to give it to um, Gantz's party and bring them into the coalition. Bennett said that Bibi's time was over, that he'd failed, and that if he could achieve 20 mandates or more, that he, Naftali Bennett, would form the next government. Meanwhile, Globes, the uh, financial news agency uh, from Israel, is reporting that international ratings agency S&P sees increased medium-term fiscal risk for Israel if the upcoming elections are also inconclusive. S&P didn't say whether it would change Israel's rating or cut its rating forecast, which is the step before a rating cut in the event of another stalemate after the elections. They uh, also warn about the rising government debt, which they say could influence Israel's double uh, A rating. Following the COVID-19 crisis, Israel has raised public debt to 73% of GDP. This is where we were at a decade ago. S&P expects Israel to already begin reducing the debt by the second half of this coming year. Although they believe Israel's ability to do this would be seriously compromised if the upcoming elections are inconclusive. One of the things that would come out of an inconclusive election would be a failure to pass a budget. We're already two years since the last budget was passed and we'll be discussing that as well as the upcoming elections in my conversation with Mitchell Barak uh, coming up shortly. Moving on to uh, defence news. On Friday evening, rockets were fired at Israeli towns from the Hamas-controlled Gaza area. Ynet reported on Saturday that in response, the Israel Defense Forces had hit a key Hamas military facility during its overnight retaliatory strike on the group's assets in Gaza. According to the report, one of the targets was used by Gaza-based terrorist groups uh, to develop rocket strike capabilities. Following the attack on the structure, which was located next to the Pepsi-Cola factory in Gaza, Hamas sealed off the area, preventing any recordings. And in other defense news, Syrian state media said that Israel carried out airstrikes in the central province of Hama early Friday morning. They reported that the attack occurred near the town of Masayaf, believed to have a major Iranian presence. Uh, The IDF has neither confirmed or denied that story. And now on to today's in-depth feature. Israel has failed to pass a budget in over two years. This may seem bizarre and unfathomable to people living in countries like the United States and Great Britain. Uh, and it's purported to be one of the key reasons that the current government has collapsed. To discuss this and what fourth elections may bring to Israel, I'm joined by political commentator and pollster Mitchell Barak, who is the CEO of the Kivun Polling Company. Mitchell served as a speechwriter to President Shimon Peres and Prime Minister Ariel Sharon. He was also an aide to Benjamin Netanyahu when he was Deputy Prime Minister in the Yitzhak Shamir government. 
Mitchell, let's dive straight in. Here we are, fourth elections in two years, and the stated cause, and we know there's a lot of background uh, going on, but the stated cause is they were unable to pass a state budget. What people may not realize is we haven't had a state budget in, I think, over two years. To Americans, they, you know, you get a week without a state budget and the federal government shuts down. In Britain, the idea of not passing a budget is simple. It just happens. So how did we get to this position? How are we still functioning here in Israel with no state budget for two years? Well, it's a good question. I mean, you see, the, first of all, that the American situation is much better because when you don't have a budget at all, then that's when they really have to pass one. Um, but the truth is, you know, it's like the old saying, there's uh, three kinds of hell, the Jewish hell and the Roman hell and whatever. And it all starts at six o'clock in the morning and the guy picks the Jewish hell and they say, why did you pick it? And he says, because six o'clock is not always six o'clock, you know? So we get, we get by with the, with, with the budget. Um, how did we get into it? I mean, we got into this because uh, we're in a series of election cycles. But the real reason is because the leadership in this country hasn't found the urgency for the economy and the urgency for the people living in this country, the 9 million citizens, in order to pass a budget so they could move on with their economic lives. You know, and they haven't done this even with this horrible pandemic. And the, the real uh, financial and economic hardship which people are experiencing now. Um, you know, it very much seems that the elected representatives of this government, which has, you know, 35 plus ministers, plus the Norwegian law, bringing in other members of Knesset, it's a totally wasteful uh, government, which was done in order to pass a budget and move things forward, it hasn't done it. And, you know, one can only blame the people in charge, which is the prime minister Netanyahu and his designate prime minister, his, his spare prime minister, if you will, Benny Gantz. How does a government like Israel's actually function? And a budget is, this is how much we're going to spend this year, or if you're the Minister of Infrastructure, on, on the roads and the railway. How are we functioning and how are we still expanding well, as an economy with no budget, no plan? Well, like, like everything else, there's a lot of workarounds that they use. So first of all, they were able to you know, transfer the budget from year to year at the same levels. Uh, so that ministries couldn't really do any new programs, but they could continue the old programs. Then before this government, uh, I think, dissolved itself, they had an emergency meeting the day before, and they approved 70 billion shekels of, you know, expenditures. So it's not a budget. It's not called the budget, but the money is flowing, and they're still finding ways to to work around that that uh, that limitation of not having a budget. What they weren't able to have a workaround was the, that it was said in law that if the, there's not a budget passed, that the government falls. And this was this is a real problem. At the end of the day, though, I mean, you know, it, we're, we're seeing we've been seeing a lot of chaos all over the world the past few years, uh, both from an electoral point of view in Israel and in the United States and 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 Britain, as you mentioned, with Brexit. Uh, and then, you know, we were all smacked with this uh, global pandemic which it looks like we're starting to get out of, but still there's a lot of people suffering and there's a, and, and we're not out yet. I mean, Israel is about to go on a, you know, another serious lockdown. So, you know, the budget is, is just, you know, it's indicative of the paralysis of the government, paralysis of the people in the Knesset and their, not just the inability, but their, their, their unwillingness to listen to what's really important to people and their unwillingness to take their responsibility as public servants 
paid for by the public seriously. And that's really the problem. You know, everyone blames the system. I'm not convinced that the system is as bad as people say in Israel because we have a democracy. And at any of these three elections, and now four elections, 61 members of Knesset could get together and say, enough, we've had enough of this government, and we're going to now form a new government, and we're going to pick a new prime minister. So they could have done that at any point, and they could, you know, they could have done that, but they, they didn't do that. Um, you know, and it, it's only now that, that some in the Likud are breaking away that Gidon Saar is forming his own party, and that's a real mutiny within the Likud. But up until now, you know, we've gone through three elections where the prime minister, the head of the Likud, Netanyahu, has not been able to form a government or form a working government and do what he had committed to do, both in terms of his partnership with Blue and White, which he didn't take as a partnership, hiding most important, you know, peace agreements, hiding from them, but also not bringing a budget to the Knesset. So he hasn't done that. And 61 members of Knesset weren't able to go and say, we've had enough of you. So it's not the system that's so bad. It's the people that are in it, I think, that is the real problem. You and I have spoken. I've spoken a lot about about where our system works, though, and the fact that our opposition basically is pulled into the government. So you get an opposition party, the actual opposition, which isn't Yair Lapid. It's the people that aren't Likud or even within Likud inside the cabinet and the government, and therefore they just end up not not being able to do anything because they just have ideological differences between them. But what does that mean? What what is actually the difference between what Netanyahu said he wanted in a budget, which I think was a two year budget, and a one year budget that Gantz was pushing for? And why were they pushing for that? What what, what are the implications of those differences? Well, what was going well, in the, the the real story. The real story is not about the budget, and the real story is not the difference of a budget, because Netanyahu never tabled the 2021 budget, and the 2020 budget was basically, you know, for a month, six weeks, then it became a month, then it became two weeks. He couldn't even table that. The real story behind the budget is he signed, Netanyahu signed an agreement with Benny Gantz. Benny Gantz uh, betrayed his, uh, his partners in his own blue and white party meaning Yair Lapid, who went with him faithfully for three elections, as well as Moshe Bugia alone. He betrayed them uh, so that he could go with Netanyahu and form a government because of the corona, so that he could be prime minister after campaigning on a platform of, I will never sit with Bibi Netanyahu, I will replace him. So right. once he did that, Netanyahu agreed that in November of 2021, Gantz would become prime minister. Now, when he signed it, he never intended that that would happen. He didn't know how he was going to get out of it. But there were two exit clauses to that, meaning if the 2020 budget didn't pass by December, whatever it is, 23rd, then automatically new elections were called. But he probably intended to um, to pass that budget. And then th- there was another time, I believe it would be in March or April of next year, that if the 2021 budget didn't pass, then there would also be elections. The problem being for Netanyahu is if he would call elections anytime sooner or the government would fall, Gantz would automatically be prime minister during the election period. And he wanted to avoid that. And Netanyahu does not want to give up being prime minister, both because he has his trial, he's on trial for a number of corruption and fraud charges. And and from the view of sitting prime minister, he can influence things here and there. And because he believes that uh, this this is where he's going to stay for life, for prime minister. So he didn't want budget because that's his exit clause out of this agreement with Gantz. 
And that's what we see happen. We're now in fourth elections. Once again, we're already hearing uh, vote for me because I'm not BB, as if that's a reason. Do you not, as a political commentator, think that we, we should be hearing who offer a vision? You want to replace the man who's been Israel's longest serving prime minister and in many ways a very successful prime minister who can point at serious achievements. Like that prime minister, you want to replace him. You have to have a vision, surely. And I'm not him isn't a vision. It keeps yeah, getting well, rejected by the Israeli voter. Right. So, so, so you have to remember that Israelis generally vote on the negative. And Netanyahu has only run every single campaign that he's won in his life on the negative, meaning the Iranians are going to nuke us. I'm the only guy that can save us. The Hezbollah is going to attack us from Lebanon. I'm the only guy that can save us. Uh, the, pa- the Palestinians from Gaza, Hamas, they're shooting missiles at Tel Aviv. I'm the only guy that can save us. The Israeli Arabs, they're going to take over our country. I'm the only guy that can save us. The leftists, they don't believe in Judaism. I'm the only guy that can save that. He's run always on a, po- a message of security, but first putting the fear before the security, okay? I'm the guy that can save Israel. So he's never had a positive message. It is true that they are gonna have to come up with the I'm not Netanyahu. And I think we're gonna see that out of Gidon Saar for sure. I think that he's gonna come in and gonna offer his vision. He's calling his party New Hope and and he's laying out a foundation of what are his policies. Uh, And people believe him that he's not gonna go with Netanyahu. And I think that's uh, that's that's a um, that will be re- that is refreshing for a lot of people to hear. Naftali Bennett is a little late in the game to declare his leadership, and again, he is not saying that he will not go with Netanyahu. That could be a game changer for him if he can um, if he can uh, you know really break away mentally uh, from Netanyahu and say it's time for a leadership change. He's not saying that. So anyone who's going to vote for him is voting for like the you know the Likud uh, stepchild. So, you know, so that's playing out. And I would not discount uh, Yair Lapid. Yair Lapid has done a, been very loyal, a loyal partner to Benny Gantz, even though Benny Gantz eventually betrayed him. And he did not sit with Netanyahu, meaning he was in the opposition for four years while, Netan- while there was no foreign minister. And he could have easily walked in and become foreign minister and said, you know, it's time to have a stable government. And he didn't do that. Uh, so I would not, uh, you know, downplay his his uh, his position either. Dov Lipman, when I, I spoke to him on this podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago now, believed that the votes would remain. He couldn't see any way where the votes would move to the left, but that the right bloc would not accept uh, Netanyahu's leadership this time, or it would be a lot more difficult for him to form a government of his natural partners than it has been before. Um, and so that leaves the question is, if they vote in that direction and they won't sit with Bibi, does that leave uh, a Gidon Saar prime minister? It, it could be, but it could not be. It could be someone else who's, uh, it could be a Lieberman, it could be another compromise candidate. There could be a mutiny in Likud, because if Netanyahu is not going to deliver on election day, if it's clear on election day that he doesn't have it, He's out the day after. Netanyahu is out the day after. And I, I think the, the, the possibility of Gidon Saar eventually becoming the chairman of the Likud, even very quickly, if he does very well, is a possibility. Because the Likud will go with power. And if he can prove that he can do it, they, they may take him back into the party and combine forces with him. And it's not clear. We don't see, at the end of the day, we don't see who's, who are all the candidates who are going to be running. So whereas Saar had, right. you know, 
a strong uh, opening, you know, now all the negative information about him is going to come out and they're going to attack him and they're going to, you know, uh, find what they need to find in order to convince people that BB is the only leader. And the other thing that's going to be really relevant, I mean, besides that we have some great peace agreements and we may have some more is by the time election day comes around on March 23rd, you might have a vast majority of the, the voting population already has the COVID-19 vaccine in their bodies. But at the end of the day, look at where we are compared to other countries. And I think that's right. what he's going to run on. So you, you still think that could be a fourth, uh, a fourth uh, government? Right. Well, well I, I think we're warming up to the real possibility at hand, which is that I think you may have a confluence of forces of people that say we're not going to go to a fifth election. It's now time to put aside certain differences, make a framework of a government actually defines what the goals of the government are on what we agree on and what, not what we don't agree on, fix the country for the next two years, three years, and then go to elections. And that may be Netanyahu's greatest legacy. Fascinating. Mitchell, thank you so much. That was really interesting insight. Sure. We'll speak soon. Thank you, sir. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. As I said at the top of the podcast, we post a short daily video analyzing the chakra rates on the Israel Transfer Facebook and LinkedIn pages. And here again is my co-host in those videos, Daniel Engelsman, co-founder of Israel Transfer, with some indications of where the rates stand as we go into the final week of the infamous 2020. As we approach the end of the year that doesn't ever seem to want to end, 2020, uh, still a lot of things that are kind of up in the air and undecided. Uh, in the US, we've got uh, continued uh, disagreement about the next stimulus uh, package. Um, that is going to run into the next year, um, but the markets are uh, not really reacting to it, but they're waiting to see what happens with that because it does have an impact um, a little bit um, you know, financially across the board. Uh, in the UK, to the contrary, uh, we had good news last week, obviously, with the uh, Brexit deal announced. Um, so the UK will be leaving with a deal uh, next Friday. Um, the markets haven't reacted so well to it, but I think that's more to do with the time of year that we're in. You know, we're in a week where, you know, historically uh, traders aren't, you know, taking long extended breaks. Um, and not trading over this time. So I think whilst we'll see not a huge reaction during the week ahead, I think um, when we get back the following week, the first week of the new year, we'll see uh, better reaction, I hope, for sterling. Um, and, you know, the shekel is continuing to stay strong against everything. It looks very likely that Israel will be one of the very first countries to immunized basically the majority of their citizens. I mean, we're, at the moment, we're, I think, one or number two in terms of uh, percentage of population that's been um, given the vaccine. Um, and I would not be surprised if we were the first country to fully give the whole country uh, the vaccine. So that's a very positive outlook for Shekel, and it will continue to keep the Shekel strong. So um, this week will be quiet in terms of... Um, numbers of trades we might still see some volatility but in the first week of 2021 you know the year that everyone wants to you know start because everyone's written off 2020 
we'll, uh, we'll start to really see the next movements in the exchange rate. Thank you, Daniel. And please check out the daily videos on the Israel Transfer Facebook page or LinkedIn page. And thank you for staying with us to the end of this edition of the Israel News Summary brought to you by IsraelTransfer.com. Please subscribe wherever you're hearing this, whether it's iTunes or uh, Spotify, etc. And like and share it. That would be so appreciated. Of course, if you want to buy or sell shekels, then please visit www.israeltransfer.com and you can also access a mine of information about the Israeli financial system, buying property here in Israel, uh, investment in Israel and so much more in the Israel Transfer blog. I'll be back at the start of next week with another episode and until then I wish everyone a happy new year and a far healthier and better one than 2020 has been. Shalom Uleitraot from Israel. <laughs>